Hello, and welcome to the EACCNY Pulse, a podcast platform that showcases transatlantic business insights from our members. My name is Paulo Fratini Melendez, and I manage our new initiatives here at the European American Chamber of Commerce in New York. So this marks our first episode on the future of digital, a series that explores how the pandemic has induced digitalization across various sectors, as well as the acceleration of innovation or the adaptation of new technologies. So we have with us three speakers to kick off this series as they discuss the future of microtransit and the possible opportunities for digital innovation on both sides of the Atlantic. So it is my pleasure to introduce Sarah Oud, CEO of Propulsion Quebec, Michael Hutchinson, Partner Success Manager at VIA, and Martin Kenty, International Development Lead at Bewigan. More information regarding our speakers and their respective companies can be found in the podcast description below. Lastly, we hope that you enjoy this series and I encourage you to rate and subscribe to the EACCNY Pulse on your favorite podcast platform. Enjoy! Hello everyone, my name is Saoud, I'm the CEO of Propulsion Quebec. We are the Quebec industrial cluster on electric and smart transportation. Our job is to accelerate the development of the industry of electric vehicles, smart vehicles and infrastructures and and new business models for mobility in Quebec. And today I am with Martin Kensey from Bewigan and Michael Hutchison from VIA. And we will be talking about microtransit, more specifically in the U.S. and in the EU. So hello. Hello. So good to be here. Good morning. Thank you for being here with us today. Maybe the first question that we can answer for our listeners is, uh, what is microtransit? What are we talking about here? Can you explain your vision of microtransit? How would you describe it? Martin, would you want to go ahead first? Yeah, so I work for Bewegan Technologies. We're a, an electric bike share company. We provide an electric bike share solution. So hardware, software, uh, and everything that comes with bike share. So the operational part, uh, the maintenance, uh, the client and customer service. So for us, it's really part of getting people on the road, getting from point A, point B, whether it's for their daily commute, whether it's for recreational purposes. For So for us, it's really microtransit providing the, the best type of electric bike share for people to, to get anywhere doing the smaller and even longer trips instead of using their car or uh, using any other type of uh, transportation. So for us, it's really centered around active mobility and shared mobility. Okay, so it's for short distances. Michael, can you explain a bit what is it that you do at VIA and how do you see microtransit from your perspective? Absolutely. Uh, So yeah, I'm a partner success manager here at VIA. So I work with our existing partnerships that are are live in Canada. We're up to 11 that we've got uh, up here, but uh, we have over 500 across the world. And we are a transit tech leader that works in the microtransit space. And much like Martin was saying, it's conducive to any number of solutions. So we really see microtransit as the tech enabled space in between fixed line transportation and more of your ride hailing uh, applications that folks might be used to around the world. It lives somewhere in that that hybrid space and it can take on any number of of hats. So you can have full-size buses running these microtransit solutions. You can have uh, smaller vans, sedans, taxis that are running these microtransit solutions, but it's really to get folks from point A to point B in a number of different manners, schedules that are, aren't hard line in stone. You're not checking the, the transit agency website to see exactly when this bus is coming because it comes based on your schedule, as are the routes. I think the routes, 
you know, we're all still maybe hardwired to think of what is my bus line? Where am I going to go? But in a microtransit space, um, it really is dynamic and it really is uh, intelligent to really cater to the needs of the population. Uh, and so that's at least where we see microtransit from a via perspective, I think. And it's the nuance of this this subject, which I think is, is fascinating and why I'm excited to have this conversation is because we sort of champion microtransit and then there's micro mobility, which mm -hmm. probably to the layman, there's no difference between them. Mm -hmm. From our end of things, we like to separate them in that microtransit is kind of what I've been describing, whereas micro mobility, that's definitely where we see it sort of as a full scale solution where, you know, bike sharing and, and Bowagan comes in so handily. Um, but I know that's that's sort of parsing nitpicky little elements about about terms there. Okay, so it's microtransit, it's for short distances, it's intra-city, and it, it can come with different types of vehicles, but it's also the other, I think, aspect that you're bringing is that it's flexible, it's agile, it's not like a certain route or timelines, it's really flexible to the need of, of the customer. And well, I'll, I'll even just hop back in and say, it's it can wear a number of different transit hats as well. I think we're also still thinking of it maybe in a purely you know commuter system of individuals got to go from A to B, but you know we work in the paratransit space all across the world, uh, providing adapted transit, non-emergency medical transportation to folks who need this service, and sometimes it's just not being delivered by a more conventional way, or even what sort of the the new area that we're excited to be getting into with especially the new york city department of education is school bus systems and modernizing that and bringing that into the transit tech uh, micro transit space to be able to bring dynamic routing and and up-to-date tracking and schedules for students and families all across the city hmm, that's interesting so it's it's the other element that's there is, is technology it's very present in, in micro transit and so you mentioned at via you're present in different cities Martin, do you want to talk about concrete examples of microtransit just to give the listeners a bit of an idea of what it can look like in other cities Absolutely. if they don't have a, a project going on in their own city? Martin, do you want to go ahead first and, and explain a bit where what types of, of uh, project you might have either in North America or in uh, in Europe? Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, obviously to touch on what Michael was saying is that nitpicky, uh, whether it's uh, electric bikes, scooters or, or buses and et cetera, I think in the end everything comes together. And for us that multimodal interoperability is really important. And, and that's something that we've been starting to put in place. Obviously, it's you, know, you start with the bike share and then other either shared mobility or uh, micro transit or just transit in general options kind of uh, attach themselves to those projects. We, uh, at the end of last year, we launched a very large scale project in our bike share system in Inverness uh, in Scotland, where we really started our first Moz uh, mobility as a service project with a company called Fleet on Demand Mobilio. So basically it's one app, you see all the different transport options you have. So whether it's a bus, whether it's the train, whether it's all the bike share stations, Obviously, we still have the mobile app that is specific to the bike share system, as they would probably do for car sharing or for scooter sharing. But they still have that one app where everything is kind of centered there and they can see every option. So they can create an itinerary thinking, OK, well, I need to take the bike from point A to point B. But at point B, I can take the bus to point C. Uh, and then maybe there's even another option to get to the final destination, which is point D, to, just to give it a name. And that is something that's really interesting for the customer because they can really see what are all the options. 
they can unlock the bike with that same option. And on the long term, that will just make it more complete. The same goes for one of our largest systems, which is in Tartu in Estonia, uh, which is, to be fair, it's, I think in the bike share industry is one of the best study cases because it's really popular, but it's really multimodal. So what they want is the same thing. It's a mobility as a service, but that you can even use the same card. So your, your RFID card that you use for the tram, the bus, that you could use that for the bike as well. So it, in the end, everything is possible. Uh, I think there needs to be an openness from all parties involved, of course. And I think that's where we're going towards. Uh, it's all different scales. And, and we're really seeing that it enables people to get more involved as well with these types of public transport options uh, and shared mobility options to, uh, to have a more active, but also a more sustainable way of getting around. Michael? Yeah, absolutely. And I think to Martin's point, I think what's great is that with microtransit solutions, there's no minimum or maximum when it comes to scale for cities. Every city is right for this because there's folks who want to get around. Uh, and so from Via's point of view, like we, we work in some of the smallest cities and townships and some of the biggest ones, by no means a small one, but one we've recently launched in your neck of the woods, Sarah, was um, at the beginning of March, we launched a nine vehicle service sort of working in the fringes of Quebec City. And that's only really serving about 200 rides a day. So it's pretty small and reserved compared to some of our other ones, which is one of our biggest is Jersey City. That we provide over 2,000 rides a day um, and those are folks who are making it part of their their routines. That is that is their lifeline to getting around, to commute, to get to school, to get to work. And so it really is quite great. On the on the flip side, we have you know even larger movements in in Europe. I'd say we've now started our Berl Mobile service, which is paratransit for the entire city of Berlin. Um, that serves over 25,000 riders, folks who who need this service to get around, to get to their medical appointments, or just to achieve that autonomy that they need for their day-to-day -day lives. And that's that was a big undertaking for us, but it's one that we were able to take with with Stride. And now it's, you know, seeing this uh, on the back end, you're able to see the system and see all the vehicles working at once. And it's it's truly like a, a nice mosaic to see how all these intertwining pieces are working together to get folks from where they need to be to where they need to go. These are all great projects. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. I'm, I'm very interested in the mobility as a service projects that you you, you mentioned, Martin. It's such a great way to really do this model transfer from sole driving to multimodal, either active or, or collective transportation. It's so much better from a customer perspective to have access to all of those services on one app. The payment is, is easier. You can pay on a monthly basis, on a service basis. And um, it's such a great concept. It's so much more present in Europe than it is in North America. Why is that? What were, were the success factor, Martin, in, in your uh, experience? What made it possible in Europe more than it is possible in North America? Maybe also, Michael, you have a, an opinion on that. But Martin, maybe you can go first with your, your experience. I think it all starts by geography. Uh, I mean, if we compare Europe, let's start with, well, let's just say Western Europe, and we compare Canada and the United States. The United States and Canada, it's so stretched out. Uh, whereas in Western Europe, well, you, you can go from the south of Spain to uh, to the Netherlands, for example, you're there within, let's say, 14, 15 hours by car, for example, and by plane even shorter, by train probably around the same time. Uh, whereas in North America, you've maybe crossed one or two states, for example, or one province uh, if it's in Canada. Um, so I think that part is already makes it a lot easier. Um, everything is closer together. Their, um, all the transport options are fairly easier to implement because of that as well. 
and therefore also the the collaboration is fairly easier that said obviously we see it evolving as well in north america but it's just a matter of yeah just getting it off the ground it's 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 finding the right spot and if you take one area, it's working. If you want to make it work in the next city, it's quite further uh, away. And sometimes there's a different operator there as well. So it's all a matter of collaboration in that case as well. So I think that is one way the success is a lot higher, I, I would say, in, in Europe. And these projects are getting off the ground easier. Um, but I think it's just a matter of, of time. And I would say the last factor is also climate. In Europe, everything can stay open. If we take the bike share uh, that is part of, of these mass projects, well, typically they're open all year round. Uh, whereas in Canada, for example, and, and in some states of the US, well, you have a strong winter. So some shared mobility options are not there. Uh, obviously, not everything uh, runs uh, at the same pace. And I think people just switch to different types of options uh, and kind of stick to that for the winter period. Whereas in Europe, well, they still have that flexibility because, well, they don't have to worry about really cold weather, a lot of snow. And the only way in some cases they might choose one option to the other is if it's raining or not. Um, mm -hmm. So I think those are two factors that are really important. And, and then it depends as well on some type of the transportation option. So if we take the bike share uh, in our case, because that one is uh, obviously the one we know the best. Uh, is well the culture around cycling is maybe bigger in Europe. If we take the Netherlands, Denmark, Belgium, and Germany, those are really big capital countries that use the bike more often. Whereas, well, once again, based to that geography, well, if you're in Montreal, for example, and you work outside of the city, uh, you're not really going to try and do that on your bike already to commute. Um, you could be on the bike for maybe an hour or two, um, whereas in the car, well, you do that in half an hour. So everything ties in together in the end. And that's why, well, there's a, a slight difference between Europe and Northern America at the moment. Mm -hmm. What you're saying basically is that the business case is easier in Europe, more density, better climate. It's easier just to have it. And Michael, Absolutely. do you share that uh, perspective? Almost to a T. I think you could probably just snip what Martin was saying and just attribute it to me afterwards, because I think that is true. We're seeing it all across our deployments, but it's just sort of the history of transit of looking at, yeah, in, in Europe, there's the density, there's just the wide variety of options that have always been available to them, whether they want to walk because their cities are so close, whether they want to bike, to take trains to their adjoining cities. All of these are elements that are much more copacetic for them to get along with, whereas in North America, it's kind of just you know, you have your intra-city, uh, which might have a fixed line, it might have a, a light rail, a subway system, um, but then the second you want to go anywhere else, it sort of seems like a bigger commitment. The car becomes necessary. And so by virtue of that, you're you're seeing a, a lot more openness in European markets to embrace this sort of with fervor. Like we're in countrywide deployments via can be seen in Europe. Like we work with, you know, almost the entirety of Wales. We work with you know, almost the entirety of Luxembourg. But then, you know, we're starting to see those breadcrumbs start to come across to North America. And I think it's it's probably fueled now by by the outside of the pandemic. And I mean, I'm putting outside of the pandemic in optimistic quotations there as we're still we're still in it. But the optimism that comes with, okay, well, where can we make systematic changes now to be able to improve the lives of our citizens moving forward? And I think microtransit and mass solutions are where a lot of governments are looking towards now because people are going to want to start moving. And how can we make that happen? 
and how, where would that lead us? Like, what would we get out of it? And and it becomes the norm to really use that type of, of more integrated mobility. Where would that lead us from a society perspective? Can you share a bit of the dream? Like, what kind of impacts could we expect uh, of uh, uh, positive externalities? Can you just give us a bit of uh, what you would anticipate? I, I, I'm happy to venture. These are almost the fun conversations where it begets the blue sky thinking and sort of how how transportation, which I, I do agree, and I think I, we probably all agree, is a driving factor towards getting to this sort of more achieved utopia. Um, and I think, it, but it boils down to giving autonomy to citizens and giving them the autonomy to make their way around their city and around their world the way they choose, be it you want an entirely you know dedicated vehicle to get you from one to another, whether it's a taxi or a ride hailing application or whatnot, sure. Or whether you want to potentially for a different price point, make your way around on a more conventional public transit system or on a bicycle. These are these are the elements that we want people to be able to make for themselves and to not feel restricted that, okay, well, if I want to leave my house, I have this one option and then that is it for the day or no options whatsoever. Maybe the option is I have to buy a car. Um, and, you know, many people have a car and that's that's the right way to get around for them. But you know, I, I've never owned a car and I think public transit can get me around. I think bicycles can get me around. And, you know, for the right city, that's the right way you can approach it. But it really comes down to building together with a future where microtransit can just give the power back to the individuals um, mm -hmm. to make their way around their worlds. And that's more of an individual impact. Martin, what do you see for as a collective impact? Well, obviously, you, you want to see people using all these variety of transport options. And obviously if we take the ones that are being classified as, oh, they're contributing to uh, global warming, for example, well, you want them to use that less frequently and using, in our case, the bike more often. So uh, I think everything in the end will contribute obviously to a healthier planet. Once again, as Michael says, in a utopic mindset and, and just general health of everyone. We know that obviously that having an active mobility, well, makes you healthier, and whether it's physically, but also mentally. So I think in the in the end, that as a society, it's, it's obviously good for our environment, it's good for our own health, and obviously if the environment goes well, well, then our health is probably improved as well. So I think that is obviously the goal with all this, that people use less the car, the motorbike, and use shared mobility, uh, and whether it's public buses, public transport, bike share, that, that will have a great impact on everything. And every society, well, every country is, is collaborating to find ways and, and getting everyone uh, to kind of sign off on and start making these types of switches. Absolutely. And it's also a, a great opportunity for economic development. These are all new businesses that are starting to, to develop. And just looking forward to um, conclude our uh, our discussion here, Looking forward, what do you foresee as being the next technological development in your sphere that will help us achieve the, this, this utopia that we've described earlier? Martin, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, that's a, that's a great question, a really hard question as well, because obviously in our case, it's, uh, well, the bike remains a bike. So in all fairness, but uh, there are obviously things you want to change, improve from a user experience standpoint so that it's a bike that is comfortable, that they enjoy the ride, that obviously if they use an electric bike, that the electric assist is of such a high quality that well, you want to use it more often. We already see that, but you want to get more and more people on the bike. Obviously, also from a city perspective that you find new ways to 
keep the city tidy, that there are no bikes everywhere around, that you don't have bikes that are breaking or falling apart, whichever. So you want a high quality product. Uh, and obviously you want a whole structure around that as well, that it keeps the city nice and tidy aesthetically, but also just once again, touching on the uh, environment part. Uh, and you want something that is sustainable. So you want a vehicle that is there not for two or three years, and then you have to have a new one. You want it to be there for 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, and that's the bike as a whole in our case, or the charging stations as a whole, but also the parts of it. So the battery that it's longer lasting, it's a high quality and also the materials used. So in our case, you want a great product that everyone wants to use that is there for 10, 20 years, uh, that is cost efficient to maintain, cost efficient to produce. So I think without really going into details on every aspect of the bike, but that's as a whole, that is the, the goal uh, in the next years. And in our case, that's something we're already working on daily. And that's something you want to bring to the market and to the user and to the cities and to the world, basically, in the future terms. And Michael? I think I would I would say and, and maybe almost reframe it. I wouldn't I wouldn't say there's necessarily an advancement in tech that we need to get to this point, at least from a VIA standpoint. I think it might be more an advancement in public sentiment or in public policy, because we are starting to see the dominoes start to fall. But there still is a good deal of apprehension about what these solutions can bring. And yes, I mean, VIA has really only been around for a decade. And so there is some hesitation, be it from governments or, or riders or the end users downloading the apps because it's just not how they're used to. But if we can get over that hill, which I think is much more of a hill than a mountain, then we can really reap the rewards of what these, these solutions have to offer. And that I think is the, is the big solution. Because yes, well, our, our teams will always have, have ways to find improvements and to help make the systems more intelligent and more catered to the needs of each city. But really it comes down to are those cities even giving the chance for this solution? Are they are they finding ways to to implement software that can that can help in a new way, in a unique way that can help drive ingenuity for for their riders? And so I really do think that's the that's the advancement we're looking for. On top of some tech advancements would be nice. So what I hear from you is that it's not that we're not ready from a technological perspective. It's we just we just need to to go ahead and do it. Well, thank you so much, uh, Martin Kenty from BWIGIN and Michael Hutchison from VIA. Thank you also um, at the European American Chamber of Commerce for having us today. And um, thank you and have a nice day. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the EACCNY Pulse. Please don't forget to rate and review this podcast episode and be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on transatlantic business insights. For more information about the European American Chamber of Commerce and how to join, please reach out to membership at EACCNY.com. We look forward to hearing from you.